Welcome to Set Free 24-7. We are happy to have you along on this journey through the message. And today we have a couple brand new books that we're going to be reading out of the Bible. But first, we're going to start out of Matthew chapter 21, verse 23 to 32. Get ready for a showdown of wisdom as religious leaders question Jesus. And he cleverly flips the script with a parable about two sons who learn the power of true obedience. Next, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. Join Paul in this epic letter to the Romans where he boldly declares the gospel's power and how it unleashes God's righteousness for everyone from faith to faith. And get ready for some serious high-octane faith fuel. Then we're going to rewind back to Psalm 48, take a virtual tour of the breathtaking city of Zion where God's presence dwells and his praises echo through the majestic walls. It's a celebration of God's eternal love and protection. And then we're going to end today in Numbers chapter 1 and 2. Get your camping gear ready as we dive into Numbers, where God forms his people into a mighty camp. Each tribe has their own unique banner and role. And discover how even census-taking can be an adventure. So friends, buckle up on this journey today. We will see you on the other side for this journey through the message. Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. Happy whatever day it is in your world today. How are you doing, Heidi? I am doing wonderful. I woke up today just feeling a little less weighed down. I got some good sleep last night and... I am ready to start a fresh, brand new week. Brand spanking new Mm -hmm. week. We are so excited to have you along. Thanks again for joining along and choosing to just uh, spend a sliver of your day with us. We appreciate that. One of the free ways that you can support our podcast and this effort here that we have of just bringing the gospel in a fun, unique way to people is by hitting that like button or leaving a comment on the podcast platform, that always helps. And it's a free way for you to support us. And we appreciate it. We absolutely do. It's been really fun to watch the numbers kind of climbing, seeing people are listening. And I'm always so honored by that, that people willingly give to us their time during the day. And I see that as a pretty amazing thing. So if that's you, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Today, we are going to start out because we're coming up on Father's Day, and I wanted to start out with just a kind of a thought reflection on fathers who are in prison. This is out of our Crossroads Mm. Prayer Journal, and this is titled, Pray for Students Who Are Fathers. So more than 2.7 million children in the United States have an incarcerated parent, and approximately 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, about 92% of incarcerated parents are men. Please pray for incarcerated fathers who are concerned for their kids. Pray for all the children growing up without a father's daily guidance. Yes. And, you know, when I was doing my prison time, that weighed on me at one point just how I wasn't there for them. And I was Mm -hmm. so thankful for grandparents who... I mean, really stepped up and took raising my boys very, very seriously and just gave them all the love and attention that they deserved. I mean, made sure that they were 
playing hockey, yes. made sure that they were involved and had fun things to do. I mean, and loved them like they were their own. And they still do. They absolutely do. I am going to shout out to the, I'm just going to call them the K's, but you have spoken often mm. on this very topic. And we have talked at length about them and the willing sacrifice they made to make sure those boys were going to be as okay as they could possibly be. Yeah. And they just really didn't raise them as if they were raising grandchildren. They raised them as if they were raising their children and made sure that even as they were older and grandparents, they still made sure those boys were actively involved and engaged in athletics and sports and all of those things. So all the way around, God really had his hand over you, over your family, over your children. And I'm very thankful for the support everybody had. Absolutely. So we'll go right into prayer here. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you mm-hmm. for how you took care of my boys while yes. I was in prison. Yes. Thank you, Lord, for all the people that step up and take care of people's children while there are people in prison from that family. Thank you for giving them strength and courage to step up and be there for that child in that moment of need. Thank you for keeping kids out of the foster system. Thank you for good foster parents that do choose to take care of kids in those kind of situations. So uh, just give a special blessing right now to anybody that's experiencing Father's Day, maybe incarcerated, maybe any families that are dealing with a loved one that's incarcerated during this time. I just hope that people feel that peace around their life right now, that you're there, you're the good father, you are there Mm. to make sure that everybody's taken care of. Thank you for being there for us. Bless our reading today. Make it real to someone's heart and mind today and really just immerse them and challenge them because sometimes we need that. We need that little challenge in our lives. So bless our reading. Bless us today as we get ready. And I ask this all in your holy name. I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to just do a quick little add on. I'm going to be as we approach Father's Day, which is a week from today. And I want to especially remember people as they go into these days who can have an especially hard day, whether you have recently lost a father Mm, and it's a day that will be mourned, or perhaps you don't have a father figure in your life for whatever reason that is. These days can be especially difficult. And I want you to know that I, for one, because I fall into that last category, I will be covering you in prayer all day long, but celebrate Father's Day with the one who is your true father always in all things 24 seven and Mm. always will be. So I just wanted to add that because it can be really difficult. I know Mother's Day and Father's Day are really hard dates on the calendar for me. Yes. Yeah. And they are for many people for many different reasons. The drama sometimes inside a family, right? Yeah. Yeah. We live in that fallen world. Let's just call it sin. And I'm eager for the day when that's not part of our world, but I'm not quite ready yet. So (laughs) we've got things we have to do first. So now we are going to be starting out today. We're reading out of four separate passages, but Heidi will be starting out in Matthew chapter 21. So chapter 21, starting at verse 23, and this is titled True Authority. 
Then he was back in the temple teaching. The high priests and leaders of the people came up and demanded, show us your credentials. Who authorized you to teach here? Jesus responded, first, let me ask you a question. You answer my question and I'll answer yours. About the baptism of John, who authorized it, heaven or humans? They were on the spot and knew it. They pulled back into a huddle and whispered, if we say heaven, he'll ask us why we didn't believe him. If we say humans, we're up against it with the people because they all hold John up as a prophet. They decided to concede that round to Jesus. Mm. We don't know, they answered. Jesus said, then neither will I answer you your question. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Moving on. And this is a story of two sons. Tell me, what do you think of this story? A man had two sons. He went up to the first and said, son, go out for the day and work in the vineyard. And the son answered, I don't want to. Later on, he thought better of it and went. That's a wise son. That's a wise son. (laughs) The father gave the same command to the second son. He answered, sure, glad to. But he never went. Which of the two sons did what the father asked? They said, the first. Jesus said, yes, and I tell you that crooks and whores are going to precede you into God's kingdom. Mm. John came to you showing you the right road. You turned up your noses at him, but the crooks and the whores believed him. Even when you saw their changed lives, you didn't care enough to change and believe him. That really had a heavy impact on me at how Mm. bluntly he called them out. And mind you, don't forget, he is talking to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Yeah. And it blows my mind because these are, think of it as your esteemed like head you're going pastor to and church. Like it's, you're going to synod. Yes. Yeah, like you're a collection going to of all of all, the highest. Think of your church denomination. And if you have like elders, deacons, and all of that stuff, and let's say they all met and they were discussing all mm-hmm. churchy stuff, Jesus is talking to them. Yeah. Saying, crooks and whores, people you don't welcome into your church, are going into heaven before you. Can you imagine? I, I'm just kind yeah. of I'm I'm sitting with this one here because I'm finding reading through the message puts things in a context that kind of rocks me back on my heels and mm. really makes me think about what he's saying. How well, are we treating crooks and horse? Mm. How do we treat them? Are they welcome to our church? Because Jesus just said they're gonna precede us into heaven. Are they welcome Ooh. in your church? How many leaders do you think figured out as he was dying on the cross what they had done and the things that they said to God himself? I can't, I can't, Mm -hmm. so many things to think about, but moving on. (laughs) Moving on. And that was the end of Matthew 21. And next we're moving on to Romans. We're going to start Romans out here with a quick lead into the book that kind of explains what it's all about. And this is written very well. The event that split history into before and after and changed the world took place about 30 years before Paul wrote this letter. The event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, 
took place in a remote corner of the extensive Roman Empire, the province of Judea in Palestine. Hardly anyone noticed, certainly no one in busy and powerful Rome. When this letter arrived in Rome, hardly anyone read it, certainly no one of influence. There was much to read in Rome, imperial decrees, exquisite poetry, finely crafted moral philosophy, and much of it was world class. And yet in no time, as such things go, this letter left all those other writings in the dust. Mm. Paul's letter to the Romans had a far larger impact on its readers than the volumes of all of those Roman writers put together. The quick rise of this letter to a peak of influence is extraordinary. Written as it was by an obscure Roman citizen without connections, but when we read it for ourselves, we begin to realize that it is this letter that is truly extraordinary, and that no obscurity in writer or readers could have kept it obscure for long. The letter to the Romans is a piece of exuberant and passionate thinking. This is the glorious life of the mind enlisted in the service of God. Paul takes the well-witnessed and devoutly believed fact of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth and thinks through its implications. How does it happen that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, world history took a new direction, and at the same moment the life of every man, woman, and child on the planet was eternally affected? What is God up to? What does it mean that Jesus saves? What's behind all of this, and where is it going? These are the questions that drive Paul's thinking. Paul's mind is supple and capacious. He takes logic and argument, poetry and imagination, scripture and prayer, creation and history and experience, and then weaves them into this letter that has become the premier document of Christian theology. I am really excited to get into Romans. I'm excited to get into Romans, too. And uh, yeah, I think this is going to be great. I've read through it before, mm-hmm. and I love how the message version just really gives a different spin. Romans is a highly, highly read and quoted book in the Bible with Christians. And mm-hmm. some of the passages that are in here are going to be very enlightening and also yes. challenging. Yes, it's I am truly excited. But as you read that opening, it made me realize that when he was writing these letters, never once did he imagine, I'm sure, that this would be forever read Mm. throughout the history of the world in the number one book (laughs) in existence for eternity. Can you, I mean, can you imagine a letter that you have written is part of? The Bible makes you really think God's about word. what you're putting down on paper, huh? Oh. oh, I need to rethink everything I've ever written. Oh, so I'll be starting out here today. We're reading Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. I, Paul, am a devoted slave of Jesus Christ on assignment, authorized as an apostle to proclaim God's words and acts. I write this letter to all the believers in Rome, God's friends. The sacred writings contain preliminary reports by the prophets on God's Son. His descent from David roots him in history. His unique identity as Son of God was shown by the Spirit when Jesus was raised from the dead, setting him apart as the Messiah, our Master. Through him, 
we received both the generous gift of his life and the urgent task of passing it on to others who receive it by entering into the obedient trust in Jesus. You are who you are through this gift and call of Jesus Christ, and I greet you now with all of the generosity of God our Father and our Master Jesus, the Messiah. I thank God through Jesus for every one of you. That's first. People everywhere keep telling me about your lives of faith, and every time I hear them, I thank Him. And God, whom I so love to worship and serve by spreading the good news of His Son, the message, knows that every time I think of you in my prayers, which is practically all the time, I ask Him to clear the way for me to come and see you. The longer this waiting goes on, the deeper the ache. I so want to be there to deliver God's gift in person and watch you grow stronger right before my eyes. But don't think I'm not expecting to get something out of this too. You have as much to give me as I do to you. Please don't misinterpret my failure to visit you, friends. You have no idea how many times I've made plans for Rome. I've been determined to get some personal enjoyment out of God's work among you, as I have in so many other non-Jewish towns and communities. But something has always come up and prevented it. Everyone I meet, and it matters little whether they're mannered or rude, smart or simple, deepens my sense of interdependence and obligation. And that's why I can't wait to get to you in Rome preaching this wonderful good news of God. It's news that I'm most proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts Him, starting with the Jews and then right on to everyone else. God's way of putting people right shows up in the acts of faith, confirming what Scripture has said all along. The person in right standing before God by trusting Him really lives. And that's the end of our reading, starting out in Romans today. I love his enthusiasm. He is truly excited to get to these people. I mean, the love for what he's doing in his passion, in his joy is, I mean, that's like exuberant. I know. How amazing. I love the last line, though. The person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives. Yes, I do. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> if you haven't made that decision to fully trust God and really taste the life that he has for you, I challenge you to think about that. Think about that decision today. What's holding you back? And now for everyone's favorite part, we're going to be rewinding back to the Psalms and Heidi will be picking up in Psalm chapter 48. What do you got for us today? Heidi? Oh, I can't wait to find out because I have not allowed myself to skim it first. So oh. we're going to find out together. All right. So if you have a, if you have a betting pool going, Heidi could cry or could not. Uh, we'd be curious to see what you think. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to let everybody know that just what we finished up in saying there just kind of brought tears to uh, to my eyes just about you truly do live when you've put it all before God and do. say, yes, it's remarkable. Life explodes into this beautiful thing. I remember thinking when I was in the middle of addiction, in the middle of doing everything wrong in my life that I was doing, I remember thinking there's no way 
I can have any fun getting sober. If I get sober and do this whole sober thing, like my life is going to be so boring. I'm going to have to go to these meetings. I'm going to have to talk to people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and your mind comes up with all of these excuses and all these things. But I will tell you what, when you say yes to God, he will fill up things in your life and put people in place in your life. And it is a wild ride. And there are not many moments where I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs wondering, oh, I wonder what I'm doing now. Yeah, you don't appear to be bored. Life not a isn't thumb twiddler. a dull, dreary, solemn event. I think you and I, we have more joy and more fun in life now. <laughs> we do. It's just there's a freedom in it that almost doesn't make sense, but I challenge you to try it. Amen. (laughs) All right, let's read some Psalm 48. God majestic, praise abounds in our God city, his sacred mountain breathtaking in its heights, earth's joy. Zion Mountain looms in the north, city of the world king. God in his citadel peaks undefeatable. The kings got together. They united and came. They took one look and shook their heads. They scattered and ran away. They doubled up in pain like a woman having a baby. You smashed the ships of Tarshish with a storm out of the east. We heard about it. Then we saw it with our eyes. In God's city of angel armies, in the city our God sat on firm foundations, firm forever. We pondered your love in action, God, waiting in your temple. Your name, God, evokes a train of hallelujahs wherever it is spoken, near and far. Your arms are heaped with goodness in action. I love that. (laughs) Oh, be glad, Zion Mountain. Dance, Judah's daughters. He does what he said he'd do. Circle Zion. Take her measure. Count her fortress peaks. Gaze long at her sloping bulwark, climb her citadel heights. Then you can tell the next generation, detail by detail, the story of God, our God forever, who guides us till the end of time. I love how that's just a celebration of eternal love and God's Mm. protection. It just feels so good. Mm. I mean, everything in it, there wasn't even a war when all the kings got together to come. It's literally just coming before him in his presence. And they're like, it's over. It is over. It, it's astonishing to me. Um, it's, it's easy at times to look at the world and the way things are going and the things that we hear and the loud noise and the ugliness and the hatred every single bit of it is going to bow before God himself Mm. and know that he truly is God. It's an amazing thing that I get to be part of this family. And lastly, now we'll be picking up in numbers. And this is a brand new book for us. We just finished Leviticus. It was so riveting. Thanks for, it was riveting. And thank you for plowing through Leviticus with us. Now we're going to see how fun it is to start taking censuses. That's right. <laughs> numbers is all about numbers. But how cool is it to be counted in the Bible? I mean, 
This is a pretty important book. I've got a, a lead-in page here to this book to kind of give it a little bit of context. Uh, so numbers, becoming a truly human community is a long, complex, messy business. Simply growing up as a man or woman demands all the wisdom and patience and courage that we can muster. But growing up with others, parents and siblings and neighbors, to say nothing of odd strangers and mean enemies, immensely complicates the growing up. The book of Numbers plunges us into the mess of growing up. The pages in this selection of the biblical story give us a realistic feel for what is involved in being included in the people of God, which is to say a human community that honors God, lives out love and justice in daily affairs, and then learns how to deal with sin in oneself and others, and then follows God's commands into a future of blessing. And it deals with all of this without illusions. Many of us fondle a romanticized spirituality in our imaginations the God is in his heavens and all's right with the world sort of thing. But when things don't go right, we blame others or ourselves, muddle through as best we can, often with considerable crankiness, and wish that we had been born at a different time, Bible times maybe, when living a holy life was so much easier. That's odd because the Bible, our primary text for showing us what it means to be a human being created by God and called to a life of obedient faith and sacrificial love, nowhere suggests that life is simple or even natural. We need a lot of help. We need organizational help. When people live together in community, jobs have to be assigned Leaders have to be appointed, inventories kept. Counting and list-making and rosters are as much a part of being a community of God as prayer and instruction and justice. Accurate arithmetic is an aspect of becoming the people of God. We also need relational help. The people who find themselves called and led and commanded by God find themselves in the company of men and women who sin a lot. They quarrel, bicker, grumble, rebel, fornicate, steal. You name it, we do it. We need help in getting along with each other. Wise discipline is required in becoming the people of God. It follows that counting and quarreling take up considerable space in the book of Numbers because these things continue to be unavoidable aspects of our becoming the people of God. This book is essential in training our imaginations to take in some of the less-than-romantic details by which we are formed into his people. I love that little lead-in there. I do, too. It's got me set up on a very positive mindset in I'm eager to hear numbers with that setup. Well, and for those that may be expecting the birth of a child, there may be some name ideas and suggestions that come along through this book. Oh, man. Are you saying we might have some names that I have to go through in this book? Multiple oh, syllable Oh, man. Names. All right. So, so friends, I'm just going to ask for it right now. <laughs> I need some grace. I need grace. Okay. I mean, there's going to be some misspelled names. But I'm going to let you know how I do this. I power through them. So <laughs> if I have mispronounced something, please, 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 please drop it down in the comments with, I don't know. I don't know how you would 
teach me how to correctly pronounce something by leaving a comment, but I would maybe a video comment. That would be quite amazing. I mean, reach out. Their video comments reading the list of names that you read and we can do a who read it better. Who read it better. So (laughs) if if I have royally slaughtered something, please pick up your smartphone, go on there, give me a five or 10 second video of exactly how it's supposed to be pronounced and I will work on it. I am... I'm trying to have a teachable spirit here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, friends. All right, here we go. Numbers chapter one, we're going to be reading one and two. So starting out here, God spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai at the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had left Egypt. He said, number the congregation of the people of Israel by clans and families, writing down the names of every male. You and Aaron are to register company by company, every man who is 20 years old and older who is able to fight in the army. Pick one man from each tribe who is the head of his family to help you. These are the names of the men who will help you. Here we go. From Reuben, Eliezer, son of Shedur, from Simeon, Shalumiel, son of Zerushadai, from Judah, Nashon, son of Aminadab, from Issachar, Nathanael, son of Zuar, from Zebulun, Eliab, son of Helon, from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, son of Amihud, from Manasseh, Gamaliel, son of Padahazer, from Benjamin, Abidan, son of Gideonai, from Dan, Ahizer, son of, oh man, Amishadai, from Asher, Pagiel, son of Okran. From Gad, Eliasaph, son of Duel. From Naphtali, Ahira, son of Enan. These were the men that were chosen from the congregation, leaders from their ancestral tribes and heads of the Israel's military division. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named to help and gathered the whole congregation together on the first day of the second month. The people registered themselves and their tribes according to their ancestral families, putting down the names of those who were 20 years old and older, just as God had commanded Moses. He numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. The line of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, the men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by tribes according to their ancestral families. The tribe of Reuben numbered 46,500. The line of Simeon, the men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by clans and families. The tribe of Simeon numbered 59,300. The line of Gad, the men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by clans and families, and the tribe of Gad numbered 45,650. The line of Judah. The men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by clans and families. The tribe of Judah numbered 74,600. The line of Issachar. The men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by clans and families. The tribe of Issachar numbered 54,400. The line of Zebulun. 
The men were counted off head by head. Every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by clans and families. The tribe of Zebulun numbered 57,400. From the line of Joseph, from the son of Ephraim, the men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army. Registered by clans and families, and the tribe of Ephraim numbered 40,500. And from the son Manasseh, the men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army. Registered by the clans and families, and the tribe of Manasseh numbered 32,200. The line of Benjamin, the men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by clans and families, and the tribe of Benjamin numbered 35,400. The line of Dan, the men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, and registered by clans and families, the tribe of Dan numbered 62,700. The line of Asher. The men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by clans and families. The tribe of Asher numbered 41,500. The line of Naphtali. The men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by clans and families. The tribe of Naphtali numbered 53,400. These are the numbers of those registered by Moses and Aaron, registered with the help of leaders of Israel, twelve men, each representing his ancestral family. The sum total of the people of Israel, twenty years old and over, who were able to fight in the army, counted by the ancestral family, was 603,550. The Levites, however, were not counted by their ancestral family along with the others. God had told Moses, the tribe of Levi is an exception. Don't register them. Don't count the tribe of Levi. Don't include them in the general census of the people of Israel. Instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the dwelling of the testimony, over all its furnishings and everything connected with it. Their job is to carry the dwelling and all of its furnishings, maintain it, and camp around it. When it's time to move the dwelling, the Levites will take it down. And when it's time to set it up, the Levites will do it. Anyone else who even goes near it will be put to death. The rest of the people of Israel will set up their tents in companies, every man in his own camp under its own flag. But the Levites will set up camp around the dwelling of the testimony so that wrath will not fall on the community of Israel. The Levites are responsible for the security of the dwelling of the testimony. The people of Israel did everything that God commanded Moses. They did it all. I just have something to say real quick on chapter 1. So, listen. All right, here they are naming all these men. And then they go through and they say repeatedly, the men were counted off head by head, every male 20 years and older who was able to fight in the army, registered by clans and families. Mm-hmm. So, like, why couldn't they just say that one time and then list out a whole bunch of, why did I have to repeat that verse every time we went to a new name? Like, in my mind, it should have just been one time at the top and then just list out like in an, like an Excel spreadsheet. I mean, I mean, Moses could have been getting out the tablet and just that would have saved him so much tablet. 
It certainly would have, but <laughs> God was a little bit specific in how we wanted it recorded. And therefore, Robert, my love, you therefore, are reading God's word. God's word. And remember that each tribe is doing this and they're keeping a record of it. And in those records, it stated how the count was done, who was included in the count. And they had to specifically state this is 20 years old and up. Doesn't include those. This is fighting men of the army. Each of these were separate records inside mm. those tribes, but they're combined in this. I'm sure God very specifically wanted it laid out in no uncertain terms how the count was done. Remember the little opening about the attention to details and yeah, the record keeping? I was and, reminded of that. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm just going to say now, while God, you know, heard you when you talked about tablets and for just sure. Saying I mean, it I'm one just trying to be conservative with the stone here. God's like, I got plenty of got stones. Got plenty of stone. Robert, <laughs> Robert, that's God. Robert, I got this. I got this, Robert. All right. All right. I guess I'll fall in line. Then. He loves you. All right. Here we go. We're going to pick up in Numbers chapter two and end the day here. Thanks again, friends, for joining along today. God spoke to Moses and Aaron. He said, the people of Israel are to set up camp, circling the tent of meeting and facing it. Each company is to camp under its distinctive tribal flag. To the east, towards the sunrise, are the companies of the camp of Judah under its flag, led by Nashon, son of Aminadab. His troops number 74,600. The tribe of Issachar will camp next to them, led by Nathanael, son of Zuar. His troops number 54,400. And the tribe of Zebulun is next to them, led by Eliab, son of Helon. His troops number 57,400. The total number of men assigned to Judah, troop by troop, is 186,400. They will lead the march. To the south of the companies of the camp of Reuben, under its flag, led by Eliezer, son of Shedur, his troops number 46,500. The tribe of Simeon will camp next to them, led by Shalumiel, son of Zerushadai. Wow, that's a good one. His troops number 59,300. And the tribe of Gad is next to them, led by Eliasaph, son of Duel. His troops number 45,650. Again, show me some grace here, people. Mm-hmm. The, tr- the total number of men assigned to Reuben, troop by troop, is 151,450. They are second in the order of the march. The tent of meeting with the camp of the Levites takes its place in the middle of the march. Each tribe will march in the same order in which they camped, each under its own flag. To the west are the companies of the camp of Ephraim under its flag, led by Elishama, son of Amihud. His troops number 40,500. The tribe of Manasseh will set up camp next to them, led by Gamaliel, son of Padazer. His troops number 32,200. And next to him is the camp of Benjamin, led by Abidan, son of Gideonai. His troops number 35,400. The total number of men assigned to the camp of Ephraim, the troop by troop, is 108,100. They are third in the order of the march. To the north are the companies of the camp of Dan under its flag, 
led by Alazer, son of Amishadai. His troops number 62,700. The tribe of Asher will camp next to them, led by Pagiel, son of Okran. His troops number 41,500. And next to them is the tribe of Naphtali, led by Ahira, son of Enan. His troops number 53,400. The total number of men assigned to the camp of Dan number 157,600. And they will set out under their flags, last in the line of the march. These are the people of Israel, counted according to their ancestral families. The total number in the camps, counted troop by troop, comes to 603,550. Following God's command to Moses, the Levites were not counted in with the rest of Israel. The people of Israel did everything the way that God commanded Moses. They camped under their respective flags, and they marched by tribe with their ancestral families. And that, my friends, is the end of Numbers chapter 2 and our reading today. Oh, good job. <laughs> Thanks. Those uh, The names were a little bit challenging. So but They don't quite roll off the tongue in our No, no, it's not like Bob here. or And then we, we get Dan. They threw Dan in they there. They did throw a Dan Asher in there. I mean, something. Dan must have been like, thank you, Jesus. Just, it doesn't take me so long to chisel my name oh, in a rock. Oh, man, can you imagine? I mean, if you had to chisel that big old oh, name in a rock, like... Can you imagine like, kindergarten when you're just oh, learning? So oh. bad. <laughs> Poor kids. Like, can I buy a vowel? <laughs> can I just go by my initial? <laughs> oh, friends. Uh, so I just want to give a quick update here. Last week, Thursday, oh. <laughs> we were on our way into Grand Rapids. We had just left the house. It was a little after eight in the morning. I was uh, on speakerphone with a friend of mine and we were talking about his upcoming wedding and and we had turned left onto kind of the main road, Highway 57 or M57 they call it. And uh, so we're going along and I'm just getting up to speed and there was a black Suburban with no brake lights on that was there and then there was a car in front of him that I didn't see and that car was turning left into a very weird obscure place it was like one of those places where cops go to write tickets right I literally did not see him coming Heidi is in the car behind me yeah and I slammed into the back of that suburban going full 55 miles an hour yeah I drive a little Ford C-Max. It's just a little, you know, gas electric hybrid. That thing is totaled. I'll tell you what, that thing did exactly Mm. what it was supposed to do. Uh, The way that it was crumpled, the way the airbags went off. I was wearing my seatbelt. Yes, I'm a little sore. Um, I have three or four stitches on my one finger. But other than that, God God was was totally keeping a little hedge of protection around me while I was inside of that car. I totaled three cars that day. Yeah, my car, cars were the Suburban, damaged. and that white car that was in front of them. And The explosion uh, was something. Everybody was okay. I felt personally, after I realized what happened and what Heidi had to watch, I realized how traumatic that must have <laughs> been. Simply... Put yourself in the shoes of watching someone head straight towards something 
extremely traumatic or bad or and you can't stop it there's nothing you can do to help them and this is somebody that you love dearly and is precious to you and you have to watch it happen that explosion the sound the noise the pieces flying everywhere i pray nobody ever has mm. to witness that um, i worked a career as a paramedic and I was amazing at my job in those situations. I handled them well. It's a whole different thing when it's somebody that you love as much as I love my husband. And all I can remember is knowing this was going to happen, preparing myself as much as you can in a few seconds for potentially watching your husband die. Because you were sitting there screaming at me like, why aren't you stopping? Yeah. Why aren't you veering off the side Just, of the road? Why no, aren't you slowing there's down? There's no brake lights coming on. And that's when the your stomach just, I, you want to vomit because you just know what's going to happen. I remember yelling out to God something along the like, God save him, God help him, or God, something. Like just a few words. I mean, this happened in the moment of seconds i remember that and then i know that when the impact happened it's just those sounds a human can make when it's like the agony of your soul is about the only time i think people make that the only other time that sound has come for me is when i received a phone call when they thought that my oldest child had been killed in a car mm. accident Robert is doing very well and is going to be just fine. That car was built wonderfully and did exactly what it was. But my mind is still working through the trauma of watching it. And uh, I'm trying to give myself grace in that while thanking God for saving my precious husband. Mm. And I know that he will bring peace and healing to my mind also. So hug everybody, put your seatbelts on and be safe out there. And for me, it was a good reminder of the responsibility that we have yes. when we take those keys and we open up a door mm -hmm. and we sit down and we turn the ignition, the responsibility of driving. Yeah. I wasn't overly distracted. This nope. really was a, a crazy thing how it all unfolded but right. i was distracted enough that i didn't see all of this mm -hmm. coming so let this be a good reminder yeah. to you to just slow down a little bit have both hands on the wheel mm -hmm. keep your eyes straight forward Alert. as much as you can and make sure you say i love you to those that you do love uh, yes. before you head out for the day give I remember them a hug give them a little the last thing that i said to you before yeah. we left our house was i love you i'll see yeah. you in grand rapids mm -hmm. so friends that's just a good reminder uh driving is a responsibility be and, good to yourself and be good to those on and the road be good with to you. others and so uh i know some of you have asked about the other people that were in the accident they are completely fine as far as i know They'll be stiff, but there's no no cuts, no, no broken cuts, no bones, injuries. no anything like that. And they were amazing. gracious, good, kind they individuals. Were. We had police on the scene right away, uh, some volunteer people, some off-duty people. It was crazy how quick uh, everything just got taken care of right there. So that, friends, is the end of episode 51. If this is your first episode with us, welcome. If it's your 51st episode with us, thank you. 
We appreciate you on all ends of that spectrum, and we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to journey with us through the message here. So, so friends, we would encourage you just join the conversation. We have a Facebook group where yes. we're going to be posting some questions. We'll have the questions immediately following this broadcast. So stay tuned for that. If you want to answer them, either drop them down in the comments, join that Facebook group. We would love to engage with you. Can't wait to see you coming back and joining us for the next one. Absolutely. Have a great week, everyone. Another great day in the Bible. And we have four separate passages here and four questions, one for each. Starting out in Matthew, imagine you're a character in Jesus' parable. Which son's response resonates with you the most? And how does it challenge your understanding of obedience and faith? That was a heavy one today in Matthew, so think about that one. Next, we have Romans chapter 1. If you were to write a short epic introduction about yourself like Paul did, what would it say? And how can we embrace and share the power of the gospel in our own lives and communities. Our rewind was Psalm 48. Picture yourself exploring the majestic city of Zion. Now, what would be the first thing that you would want to see or experience there? And then we close up for the day in Numbers. If you were a part of one of the tribes in the wilderness camp, what unique banner or symbol would represent you and why? And how can we appreciate the diversity and significance of each person's role within God's larger plan? Because, friends, his plan is always bigger than ours. We may think we have some things figured out, but God is the ultimate chess king. I mean, he is 10 moves ahead of us, and that's just the moves that we think we can see. So friends, that's the end of the questions for this week. That's your something to think about. I would love to hear the answers to these. Feel free to drop your answers down in the comments below or join the Facebook group. There's a link down in the description. Join the discussion there. We would love to see what you have to say about this. But until then, I will see you next week for this journey through the message. Have a great week.